Oh God, that line. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. What does that mean for us? Third millennium. As we plunge into this moment, we cannot go alone. Stay in front of us, stay beside us, come behind us. And teach us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The whole world, the whole world of pop culture knows that line a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. We think, we think it was coined by George Lucas, the creative genius of the epic Star Wars tale and the multi-billion dollar franchise. But actually that line, that line is much, much older than George Lucas. The line belongs to the ages. The ancients came up with that line. It's from a dusty old book that nobody reads anymore. I'm not talking about the book. I'm talking about a book inside the book that is so cryptic, so much enigma, so much riddle to it, that as third millennials, when we come to the book, I'm not interested. Unfathomable. Ancient symbols, long-forgotten rites. Who wants that book? Even if it is in the New Testament. But I want to go to that book with you right now. The book of Hebrews. The fact that it'll take you a while to find it shows how many times you go to Hebrews. In fact, let me put the opening words. It's an opening salvo. Four words. Put it on the screen for you. Hebrews 1.1. Long ago, God spoke. In order to grasp the meaning of the story of Galaxy 3, which will be our preoccupation together this new season, in order to grasp it, we're going to, we must embrace two universal realities embedded in that opening salvo of four words. Universal reality number one, God is. Universal reality number two, God speaks. At the turn of the 19th century, early 1800s, French uh, mathematician and astronomer named Pierre Simon Laplace. He had an audience with the Emperor Napoleon. He presented Napoleon a copy of his book that he had just written, outlining all the laws of physics and nature. Napoleon, true to his promise, read the book. The next time he saw Laplace, the scientist, he said, Hey, I read your book. Not on a single page do you mention God. To which Laplace is reported to have replied, I have no need of that hypothesis. And on that quick retort, the hinge of the door to modern science, we have no need of that hypothesis. But ladies and gentlemen, those two universal realities, they are not hypotheses. They are immutable truth born out of four words. Long ago, God spoke. Come on, you know the story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God is, and God speaks. Familiar words in the New Testament. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things that are were through Him. God is, God speaks. Here's a line not so familiar, Hebrews chapter 11. 
And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he, what's that next word? Exists. God is. That he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God is. God speaks. Here's another one from the Old Testament. God himself speaking. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek for me with all your heart. The banner proclaiming the theme for Andrews University. With all your heart, mind, and soul. With all your heart, you will find me. And I love that next line. I will be found by you. I promise you, I'll be found by you. Some of you still haven't found him. You're wondering... You're here. There's something about worship that, that, that enthralls your soul, but you're st- you, you have been seeking God and have yet to meet Him. I want you to hang on to that last line. I will be found by you. You look for me. I need all your mind engaged. I need all your heart. I need all your soul and strength. You'll find me. You will, I will be found by you. He's hot. Come on, Dwight. I can't seem to find him. I mean, I've been looking for him. The door will open. It'll be just a little crack, just a faint, tiny crack, and a shaft of light will fall on your mind. But I promise you, you stay in front of that door, and that door will slowly open, and you will be mind to mind, almost face to face with this God. (laughs) I've tried, can't. Well, let me tell you something. You have to be a baby boomer to remember this story. You remember when we had the space race going on? No, you don't. But uh, the Russian cosmonauts and the American astronauts, who can get to most of space first? A Russian cosmonaut was sent into space, came back in front of a gaggle of the world's reporters and photographers. He announced, I went into outer space and I saw no God. C.S. Lewis, the great... uh, English mind happened to be alive at that time, and he likened that statement to Hamlet going into the attic of his castle looking for Shakespeare. (laughs) Timothy Keller, New York, in his marvelous book, The Reason for God, writes, I'll put Keller's words on the screen for you, if there is a God, he would not be another object in the universe that could be put in a lab and analyzed with empirical evidence. He would relate to us the way a playwright relates to the characters in his play. We, the characters, might be able to know quite a lot about the playwright, but only to the degree the author chooses to put information about himself in the play. But Christians, now hold on, but Christians believe the playwright did more than just give us information. He wrote himself into the play as a main character in history. When Jesus was born in a manger and rose from the dead, he is the one with whom we have to do. Could it be that God is not an object to be found? He's a person to be met. I will be found by you. I will be found by you. If you seek me with all your heart, you're on the cusp. Don't give up now. You've been struggling. Where is God? On the edge. You will find him. Long ago, God spoke. God is. And God speaks. The twin realities of this universe that, by the way, define the truth of Galaxy 3, where we live, and define the truth about Galaxy 1, where God lives, and define the truth about the rebel-held planet of Earth, where the rebel fights to the death. The beheading of James Foley. On camera. 
on camera for all the world to gape and gasp at and then puke over. So sick to the stomach, even the thought of such demonic, masochistic evil that ISIS, in the name of God, perpetrates. By the way, I didn't watch, I didn't watch the clip, and you, I'm going to tell you something. I hope you don't either. I'll tell you why. Listen to me. Think through this with me for a moment. Every time you watch the rebel in live, dark action, you numb your sensitivity to the rebel's evil by one degree. Every single time. And you lose by a second degree a revulsion for death until one day, mark these words, one day, the public in this nation will be watching live killings without a twinge of conscience. That's where we're headed. We're just being softened. Softened up for the slaughter. Just because it's a YouTube video of reality does not mean you can watch it with impunity without paying a very high price. You can't get that out of your head. And now you'll need more. How did the script roll before us a moment ago, Reed? Let's roll it again. Yet hope is not lost. You see that? Yet hope is not lost. The king mysteriously rises from the dead, conqueror of the rebel and evil. Now return to the throne. The king commands the end game of the final battle to save the rebel planet, rescue Galaxy 3, and restore freedom to the universe. So who is this king? We are now left in darkness. I want you to read right now what many consider to be the most magnificent and majestic literary peak in all of Scripture, certainly the New Testament. One writer calls this the majestic overture. Another refers to it as rhetorically eloquent. We're going to read it together right now. Open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, this enigmatic, mysterious book that we just assume not bother with. It feels so old. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. You didn't bring a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you. It'll be page 804. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, I'm in the New International Version. Any translation you've got is fine by me, but we're going we're to go here, you and I, this fall. In the past, long ago, the New Revised renders it, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But, verse 2, in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. Verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for sins... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, verse 4, so he became as much superior to the angels. You do know, don't you? You do know this, that the fallen rebel is an angel. You do know that, don't you? He became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Long ago... God spoke to us through the prophets, but in these last days, I love this, in these last days... He speaks to us through his son. Imagine my surprise (laughs) while I'm reading the Australian New Testament scholar Peter O'Brien's commentary on Hebrews. Uh, My friend, who's also a New Testament professor here at Andrews University, Erhard Gallus, recommended this book, gave me a bunch of books, but I went on Amazon.com and got this one. Boy, I'm glad I got this one. O'Brien in his commentary. Imagine my my surprise to discover that embedded in this opening salvo of four verses is a stunning, hold on to your seats, a stunning chiasm that tells in its riddle 
takes you to the very heart and soul of this epistle that the author will spend the rest of, rest of the epistle developing. You know what a chiasm is? Let's write it down. Take your study guide. Let's go. I want to share with, show you this to chiasm. You're going to, you're going to fill it out on your uh, study guide. You didn't get a, didn't get a uh, study guide. Hold your hand up. We've got some friendly ushers coming your way. It's in your worship bulletin, by the way. So pull, your, pull that uh, study guide out. I'm going to need more than one usher helping here. So somebody on this side, please. So hold your hand up. They're going to be coming up in the balcony as well. Those of you who are watching right now on a, our live streaming, we're glad to have you. Are you watching on television right now? Let me give, put our website on the screen for you if you're watching on television. There it is, www.pmchurch.tv. So that's our website, pmchurch.tv. You see it on your screen. Go to that website. You're looking for a brand new series called Galaxy 3 that is beginning now, Galaxy 3, the subtitle of this entire series. Why what is happening a billion light years away right now matters to you. Today's teaching, the, H, the HP factor. I want to make sure everybody gets this. Hold your hand up. They're coming your way. Let me put it on the screen for you so we can get a, get a, get a jump on this for the rest of you who have your study guides. Chiasm. What is a chiasm? Here's the definition. A literary device that utilizes a unique parallel repetition pattern. Right in the word repetition. You're going to see this and it's, and it's, and it's, as, it's, as, it's as easy It's as easy as ABC. I was trying to think of what is as easy as what, but yeah, it, it, you, you'll see it. But jot this down. A chiasm is a literary device that utilizes a unique parallel repetition pattern. Why? For clarification and or emphasis. Now, you see those letters there? Don't worry about them because we'll put them on the screen and you'll see it for yourself. Here is a chiasm set up to go. This is exactly, by the way, they're not all this short. Some of them are much longer. This is exactly the chiasm in Hebrews. You see it at the beginning of the passage and the last line of the passage, they match. They're parallel. Then you come in, the B's are parallel. Then you come in more, the C's are parallel. They're all leading to D. D. D is the huge point of the writer. So let's, let, let's fill it in together. Come on. Let's do the A. It begins, the passage, the son is contrasted with the prophets. Remember, he spoke to the prophets long ago in these last days of son. So we have the contrast with prophets and son. But you go to the end, the son is contrasted with the angels. You just read that. So, see, you have these parallel lines. Watch them as they come closer and closer. So those are the A's. Now here's the B. The son is described as a messianic heir. He inherits the universe. And at the end, the son is described near the end, as a messianic king. He sits, by the, sits on the throne with the majesty of heaven. Now go to C. This, at at the, uh, about uh, verse 2 or so, his creative work is being described, but you go just above uh, the B1 further on, and it's his redemptive work. So you have his creative work, his redemptive work. Now all of this is leading to D. Here we go with D. Make sure you get this. The son's threefold mediatorial relationship is to God. That's the point. That's the point. I mean, here, in fact, let, let, let's, let's just put the whole thing on so you can see. It's kind of like an arrowhead, isn't it? That D is like the point of the arrow. You got, so you've got this arrowhead. Everything, every parallel line is leading to D. It's like if you want to turn it on its side, it's like a mountain. You finally get to the peak. D is the peak, the summit, the breathtaking summit. And what's the point? What is the point? That, they're dri- that the author is driving home. Jot it down, will you please? Jot it down. The sun is the great divine go-between. 
go-between. That's what mediatorial means. Go-between. He is the great divine go-between on behalf of the throne of the universe and all intelligent life. He is the go-between. Now, we just read this. We just read this. He's the divine representation of God. How does, how does it put it here? The shining with the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's being. I need to tell you something fascinating about that word, exact imprint or, or representation, whatever your translation. The Greek word is character. From whence comes our English word, character. Only the Greek word is with a K, ours is with a C. What, what is a character in Greek? It is anything that with a point can be can be can be uh, impressed. It's, it's mainly used with coins. So that you take a coin and then boom, you press in the face of the emperor. That's what happened in the Roman Empire. Jesus, the son, is a coin where the face of the emperor is burned in. Character. By the way, when you have a character, somebody gave it to you. It's impressed. It's written, chiseled into you. So look at it. Of the, of the great triune Godhead, three powers, three persons. It is the unique mission of the Son, the unique role of the Son to reveal to all created beings of the universe the truth about God. So when he shows up, when he shows up to the angels, he says, you may call me Michael. What does Michael mean? Who is like God? When he shows up to the human race, he says, you may call me Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God is with us. Wherever the go-between goes... He's between the throne and that intelligent creation. He's the great go-between. Peter O'Brien put his words on the screen for you here. The Son is the exact representation, the embodiment of God as He, God, really is. His being is made manifest in Christ so that to see the Son is to see what the Father is like. Together then, these magnificent affirmations, that's the point of the chiasm, show that the Son manifests the presence, the, the person and presence of God. The Son is able to be God's historical self-revelation because He is identified with Yahweh, the great I Am. He is the great I Am Himself. End quote. In fact, the ancient community of Israel, the nation of Israel, someone in their community, one person only, was chosen for a very unique role. This one person, this one person would represent the people to God and would represent God to the people. He would commune the prayers of the people to God. He would convey the blessings of God to the people. Nobody else but this one, like a mediator, like an intercessor. But he had a technical name, and the name was High Priest. The only go-between, high priest. Do you know what? That's the stunning truth of Hebrews. In fact, this is the only book in the Bible, the only place, jot this down, only in Hebrews is Jesus Christ called the great high priest of the human, human race. Nowhere else, he might be hinted at, nowhere else is he called the high priest. But here, wow. O'Brien, put it back up on the screen. Another line. The whole argument of the epistle revolves around the idea of the son who has become the perfect high priest by his death and exaltation. I mean, we just read it a moment ago. After he made purification, that's ancient code language for sacrifice. After he was offered as a sacrifice, he offered himself. After Calvary. He ascends to the throne of the universe. And by the way, get this. The great go-between, 
He's not standing in front of the Father, between the Father and you and me. Are you kidding? He's not standing in front of majesty. He's sitting beside majesty. He is the majesty and carries with him forever the flesh of only the human race forever. That's what this magnificent chiasm is announcing to us. It's no, it's no wonder that the author of Hebrews repeatedly appeals to us, look at him, keep looking, look at Jesus. Jesus is the star. He's the hero. He's the center. He's the revelation of the book of Hebrews. This book that we've skipped over for too long now, it must not be any longer. In fact, would you jot these down? And just There are three times. Look at this. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we see. You see, the the author keeps saying, look at Jesus. We see Jesus. Jot this next one down. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. We see him. Fix your thoughts on him. One more. Uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the star of the Star Wars He's the song of the angel choirs, the melody of their symphonies. He's the hero of every story told in this universe. He's the hero. Look at him. Fix your eyes on him. Fix your thoughts on him. Lock in. But we see Jesus. In this book, we see Jesus. Look at him. Third millennials that we are. Look at him. Fix your thoughts on him. Steps of Christ. Takes that old word, character. And applies it in a beautiful way. Put it on the screen for you. Such is the character of Christ as revealed in his life. This is the character. I love this. This is the character of God. The exact imprint. It is from the Father's heart that the streams of divine compassion manifest in Christ flow out to the children of men. Jesus, the tender, pitying Savior was God manifest in the flesh. It was to redeem us that Jesus lived and suffered and died. He's not just a song. He's not just the melody. He's not just the hero. He's not just a story. He is our Savior, your Savior, my Savior. Right now, He is our Savior. So let us fix our thoughts. Let us fix our eyes. On Jesus. I need to end with an appeal. I was sharing with the faculty in our dedication service. We do this before you return to campus a couple Sabbaths ago. I was sharing with them some stirrings in my heart this summer, an awakening, at least within me, of this need to know more and more about Jesus and to go deeper with Him, to go deeper, to go deeper. I read the sketch, a little life sketch of a, of a, a young man, a graduate of the medical school, 27 years old. And I read the story of him in that, his young mind groping for, for purpose, an encounter with God, out of which he determined, for the rest of my life, I'll go to this book and I'll be looking for Jesus. I'll be looking for Jesus for the rest of my life. And I said to myself, I said to God, I said, God, I want that for me. Out of that brooding, some, God, drew some, God drew another resolution out of my heart. And that was this, this. Make an appeal every Sabbath this semester for somebody to come to Christ. For someone 
to come back to Jesus, for someone who's never been baptized to make the decision, I will follow Christ in baptism. Every teaching. Now we'll get into, the, we'll get into Scripture together. I don't apologize about the study we're going to have. It's going to take you deeper. It's going to take me deeper than we've been before. But this isn't about entertainment. This is about meeting, fixing our thoughts, using every IQ we have, fixing our thoughts and our eyes on Jesus. So we'll come back. These few Sabbaths we have, you see it on the back of the bulletin. We'll come back again and again. But we're looking. We're looking for Jesus and then... I'll make an invitation. I might be through a, uh, a connect card. It could be through a come forward altar call. Whatever. Whatever the Spirit impresses us. Right now, I wish you'd take the connect card. There's one in your worship bulletin today. Take a connect card out. If you're a new student here at Andes University, you say, what's this connect card thing? Well, that's what we do every Sabbath at this moment. We pull the connect card, and you see our ushers are already moving to the doors. Uh, at the front, on the front of the card, if you're, you're, you're new here or a guest, what we do, we put our name, email, you know, the information you're comfortable with. What's important is the back of the card. We need the front. We need an email address for something today, but to, so make sure it's legible. But turn the card over. This is the next step side of the card. There are three choices today. Three. Three. Box number one. I want to fix my eyes on Jesus and go deeper with him in Hebrews this new year. That's what I want to do. Guys, I just told you that, that's my desire. I'm going into this to feed my own soul. If you'd like to join me in the journey, little check mark. Hey, Jesus, I want to I fix my eyes on you. I want to go deeper. I, I hope everybody feels comfortable. Check mark there. Here, here's, here's the second box. I would like to accept Jesus as my personal Savior. Please send me material to help me in this decision. Look, I've never publicly or even privately accepted Jesus as my Savior. Send me something. You give us an email address that we can read. We will send something to you through cyberspace. You'll get it. I want to follow Jesus. I want to give my life to him. I've been thinking about it. As it turns out, you've been thinking about it for a while. This is a perfect day. Nobody's, it's all you do is you put a check mark. You set the pace. Final box. I would like to be baptized into Christ and follow him this new year. You got, to, you got this far in life and you haven't been baptized. That's okay. You're making this a serious decision. Nobody's going to be baptized today or next week. Hey, you, you decide. But I want to make the invitation. You put a check mark there, we'll send you. We'll be in touch with you. At your speed, you prepare. We can't read. We can't, we, can't, we can't go into a book like this and not be changed. We will be. Trust me. We will be changed. God promises us. I will be found by you in dimensions you have never known before. Let's pray. Dear God, we really need that promise. I will be found by you. You're the God who is. You're the God who speaks. You long to be found. You're not playing hide-and-seek. You're saying, come. The world is crazy right now. Come to me. I'll give you sanity. I I will be your security. I'll be your safety. Come to me. I will be found. I need all your mind. I can't have a half a mind. I need all your heart. I can't have a half a heart. Find me. You will find me. And so, Father... Take these humble little check marks. What is it? It's just us saying we want, to, we want to be found by you, and we want to find you too. And take our, our tithes and offerings. You gave, we return. It's yours. We, we, we rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen.